Let us now notice 604. 604. Six oh four. Let's hope we're all singing the truth on this. You may have your worldly pleasures, your silver and your gold. You may pile up all the riches of this world can hold, but I'd rather have my Savior and with him firmly stand. For I want to be ready to meet him in glory. Oh, I want to be ready to meet him by it. Oh, I want to be ready to meet him in the sky. I want to be more like him and do his blessed command. For I want to be ready to meet him in glory land. You may talk about your riches, your diamonds, and your pearls. You may gain the wealth for riches of this and all the world. But the Savior is more precious. With him I'll take my stand. For I want to be ready to be here in glory. Oh, I want to be ready to meet him by and by. I want to be ready to meet him in the sky. I want to be more like him and do his blessed command. For I want to be ready to meet him in glory well, there is one thing I can boast of, salvation from the fall. I'm an heir to wealth and glory, my Father owned it all. That is why I'm shouting happy and go at his command. For I want to be ready to meet him in glory. Oh, I want to be ready to meet him by it. Oh, I want to be ready to meet him in us. Oh, I want to be more like him and do his blessed command. For I want to be ready to meet him in glory. Oh, I want to be ready to meet him by and by. I want to be ready to meet him in the Oh, I want to be more like him and do his blessed command. Oh, I want to be ready to meet him in Church, I want to be ready to meet him by it. Do you want to be 
like him and do his blessed command. For I want to be ready to meet him in glory land. Thank you, Brother Braggs, the man who brags. Uh, we are fortunate to have him leading song service for us today, and it's even a greater pleasure and a blessing for you to be here and for the Lord to allow us to have come together today to consider our role in his ministry. I uh, uh, think all the time about what we are about and what we should be about as a church, as individuals, and uh, struggling with trying to say what is appropriate to say, and, and appropriateness, I mean what God wants said and what you may be responsive to, because the whole idea is to get us into the movement of God and allowing God to uh, challenge our lives. Out of my list of um, steps uh, today, I want to focus on number one, which is through improved challenging and relevant preaching to inspire the hearer to act. And uh, I say that because uh, we hear, we're told, we read, but the impetus is, is to get us off the seat into action. And that's the harder part. If uh, we could just do what we understand and uh, we see the church as an opportunity to do good and, and not always pushing and shoving us in directions. I am so happy to have all of you people visiting with us today and we're pleased that you're here and, and uh, the extent to which you are interested in the cause of Christ and the promulgation of the word. And we appreciate your prayers and your efforts in this direction to which we may be, call, be call, being called trying to anchor uh, what we are saying in scripture, which is always a forte of mine. Uh, there are those preachers who feel that they do not necessarily need to anchor their messages in scripture. They should get up and start talking about what uh, they say God has told them. And, uh, and we are not purged from that in our fellowship. But I've grown up and, and studied and developed in the direction of having what we say in church having significant relevancy to God's word. And uh, I think that Christ must always be at the center of who we are and what we proclaim and as we go forward. So for the message today, saving the world, the family, and the church I use a familiar passage of Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 6. And I'm comfortable with the utilization of that passage and its employment in our message today because as the children of Israel prepared to enter the land of Canaan as to where they were going, they had the sensitivity and the sensibility through Moses, God working through him, to prepare themselves for what they might be encountering in that new land. And that's very important. Uh, and if you read Deuteronomy 6, you'll see that Moses' statements are preparatory. 
and uh, they are equipping themselves to process what they expect to encounter in the new land. And one is the maintenance of that faith in that new land. That we want to remain faithful to God. We want to go into Canaan, live there, survive, progress. But we want to remain a body of people faithful to God. Now that's the vision of Moses. And it would not surprise me that all of the folk did not necessarily have that vision or concur with it because they're more interested in getting into Canaan. But we who are answerable to God uh, have to contemplate what we're going to encounter and how we're going to handle it. Uh, in preparation for marriage, one needs to contemplate that relationship and its obligations and responsibilities and prepare himself spiritually, morally, and every other way that he or she can to meet the conditions of that new relationship. Now, if Moses found it necessary in his day with all the power, driven force that he had to call his people, the fathers and mothers and children together and say, we're going into this land, but we've got to maintain our faith. And here are some things that you need to do in order to maintain that faith. I think that lays a tremendously powerful basis for us living in Atlanta today with an assignment from God. Look at the situation, the circumstances that we're in, and how to give God's word relevancy in the midst of that. We're a long cry from just preaching. And when I first started preaching, I was just preaching. Uh, at the recent lectureship, I said to my brethren there that there's a difference between preaching and ministry. And many of us know never arrive at ministry, we stay preaching. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, I, I, I was busy trying to get a good, a good sermon that uh, I felt good about, that people would hear, they could uh, say amen to, et cetera, and it backed up our relationship with the New Testament church, et cetera, and just say all of those things in line. But as I way over the hill when I began to have to deal with relevancy of what I said and saying it in such a way that it, married to the situation in which we were in. Uh, people who find themselves in conditions, and as we do here in Atlanta, how do we maintain the faith, and what are the circumstances out there that we must meet? And I want to spend some time talking about that today. So therefore, I hope to uh, challenge families uh, uh, to work through the family unit uh, through teaching and development to affect positive change and stability through conversion and through teaching so as to save the family, the church, and the world. That seems to me to be a, quite an assignment, but it's a realistic one. How does God plan to use our families why did God give us families? 
Why did he place us in this church? Why are we in this community? And how is God's will going to be done if it's not done through us? What part do we play? Moses saw himself and the children of Israel leadership are those men and those sons who are the conveyors of the message of God as critical to the implementation of God's will. And it frightens me sometimes that I don't think we think we're critical. That we are absolute necessities for God accomplishing his will. God always accomplishes his will through people. And where you find God being successful, you find an obedient people who's willing to embrace what God wants done and said. And we are no different. We are to preach the gospel to all the world. We need to be sure that gospel is pure and it's steadfast, and it's livable, and it's realizable. So how are we going to do that? And and I'm saying one of the greater vehicles that we have, through progression and otherwise, is the family unit. And I don't think that you can change the world, sustain the world, or get done what God wants done without recognizing the family unit. It is an integral part of what we are about to do. Therefore, my aim today is through improved, challenging, and relevant presentation and preaching to inspire the hearer, you, to receive the message and forge, cause to happen, positive change in the world, morally, spiritually, Socially and politically. We are God's instruments to make it happen. I often refer to the family, as you know. I've always felt that I am, was, has always been, will continue to be an integral entity in my family. And to the extent that all men don't feel that way is relates to the depravity and the breaking up of the homes and the failures to be what they ought to be. It is not enough for me to preach the word about what a family ought to be and what husbands ought to be and for us to say that men are leaders of the church while they sit on the bench and make no moves, come up with no great ideas, and all I do is just repeat messages. God expects me to be the source of implementation and his will being vibrantly alive in my life and in the life of my family because of me. Not just coincidentally, but because of me. And it would not be if I were not doing what I'm doing. That's critical. God has given mother specific assignments relating to the carrying on of his will. So we want to look at the basic formula. What's the basic formula for change is laid down in Moses and Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 6. Passage that you for me, you've heard before. Now they 
These are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you. God commanded me to teach you this, he says, that you might do them in the land whithersoever you go over to possess it. I'm teaching them to, them to you not just to have them as memory work, but we want them inculcated in your life. They are part of your fiber. They're who you are. And when you are living that expression out, you change your surroundings. That's a tremendous challenge that we are able to do according to God's will. Ephesians 6 and 1 says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Our children need to be taught that. They need to understand that that's a part of our lifestyle. Our children are obedient, respectful of their parents, adults, and other individuals. It's the home's place to do that. And not talk about how nice an idea it is. And it's the home's place to find a way to implement that. It's not easy. But that's the reason why God made me a father, you a mother, you a father, etc. Because you are his instrument for the implementation of all that. Even when you fail, you are still God's instrument. Even when I fall short, I'm still God's hopeful entity. And the fact that I fail here does not uh, allow me to give up and not try somewhere else. Ever learning, always trying to come to a knowledge of the truth. And he says, as you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. That passage always challenges me because it puts a weight on the husband, the father, to find a way to do it and not just boss. And even though I am father, I'm expected to get God's will done in my family with my children without using the lever, I'm your dad and I make you do what you have to do. That passage says don't provoke them to anger. That means that I've got to be smart enough to get ahead of my son, ahead of my daughter, and lay it out to them in an enticing way that they'd be responsive to that. That's the challenge. That's what Paul is saying in, in the Ephesian letter. Don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Everything your child is to be taught, you ought to be qualified to teach it. And I'm in terms of being a responsible citizen, etc. I'm not telling you to teach your children calculus if you don't know calculus. <laughs> but that, that, that's, within the domain of, of the domestication of a home, uh, that's your responsibility and my responsibility. I'm accountable for my house. And I'm responsible to be sure that it goes forward. And that's not necessarily a boss. But I'm answerable to God for my family. I like the Hebrews 6 passage, 1 through 4. While the challenge there is... Uh, Laying again the foundation of their works, let us go on to perfection. Somewhere I have to correlate 
the progression of my family, my children, with their age. Because time is moving on. And it's going to have to be done within a certain time. We always made it a point in my family, for instance, that our children learned ABCs before we went to school. That's when, in early years, now you have no more than that before you go to school. Because it's our responsibility to do that. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way it would go, and when it's old, it will not depart from that. Keeping that in mind. God sets out to preserve and to save us so as to prepare us to stand against evil, to preserve our salvation, because God is interested in our being saved to resist evil in the land and to overcome evil in the land. God expects us to be successful in Atlanta, getting some other things done that some folk who do not believe and relate to God can't get done. God's hand is upon us to accomplish certain objectives. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that uh, that may not speak very uh, highly to some of, some of us because of our background on training and how we've always approached it. But I always like to come back and say, if God is not on your hand, God's hand is not on you and you are not an instrument to God, what are you? If God is not getting it done through you, how is he getting it done? And does the fact that I refuse to cooperate with him make God's will fall short? No. God's will is God's will, and I search out, we must search out what our roles are in accomplishing that, the development of our children, the development of our families. God says, hear, O Israel, that you may uh, increase mightily in the land. God expects our membership to grow in the land. God expects our impact to increase. God expects us to get those things done mightily in the land and uh, leading our people not to recognize or to honor other gods and anything that goes against the will of God. So we teach, we are to teach our children the basic knowledge of God so that they will live obediently before God and the church morally and spiritually. We are to train our children up in the basic principles, and God expects that out of us. Paul, Hebrews 12 and 8 says, If you be without chastisement, wherefore all are partakers, then are you illegitimate children and not sons. The primary lessons our children get and is from us that there is one God. They learned that from us. And they passed that on to others in their association, uh, sending the child out with every absolute faith that God is God. And there is one God. I had a member of the church say to me on one occasion, I was visiting in the home, and she was somewhat embarrassed uh, because her son, and she was a Christian, supposed to have been a Christian, knew a little bit about God and had not passed that tradition on to our son. And some 
child with whom the child was playing was talking to him, and, 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 and it, 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 something happened that uh, uh, one of them said his conduct was not acceptable what the non-member's child, non-member child thought it ought to be. And uh, that child, who's not a Christian, said to the uh, child who's part of a Christian family, uh, you can't do that. God's going to get you for that. And, 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 and this child, a member of the church family, said, what are you talking about that? Who is that? Now, there's no question in my mind but that that person had totally missed their assignment. Had, had, had not, uh, not only uh, convicted the child with the knowledge of God, but was not made aware of the concept of divinity and God. And it's our responsibility to move beyond this. It's our responsibility to uh, press the idea of one God and the unity of the faith of the Son of God. That God's intentions are that we would all obey him and be faithful to him and that division is not a part of our lifestyle. And that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. And my children should not only hear that at church, they are hearing from their daddy, their mother, their parents every day. In the home. And this is what Moses is saying. And this is what we're going to have to size things up. What does it take to get done what we would like to see done for God? That calls for a lot of thinking. I said to my brethren yesterday when we were reviewing some of the questions that had been uh, uh, submitted here by some of the members, I said, and I say again, and I still believe that this is our responsibility as leaders to read these questions and understand what the congregation's concerns are and to be able to provide some answers to that question, even if it's not in that question, we're supposed to be smart enough as leaders to understand what's going on in our membership. I should be smart enough as a father to understand what troubles my child. Have you ever thought about a child who cannot talk can't tell you what he wants and cries incessantly, you got to try to find out what's troubling him. Now you brought him in here, fix him. <laughs> we ought to be smart enough to know what's going on in this world where Christ is concerned, are searching to find out and try to find out what it takes to fix it. And I want to say to you, brethren, fixing it moves beyond simply telling. So how, how, how do we handle that? Now, there's a spirit of unity that ought to permeate the church and bless it as it goes forward. There are spirits of division that work in the church, etc. How do we offset that? How do we enhance the righteous 
How do we defeat evil in our midst? Because as you're as sure as we are, both good and evil. But we are God's point of emphasis. So I'm asking the same question and look, trying to look at the same thing that Moses did. How do I prepare these people to survive in that land? I ain't been over there yet, but I got to contemplate. I've got to anticipate. And one of the things do is you teach your children strongly about God, so much so that they teach their children the same thing. And that's, that's, a, that's an, an horrendous challenge. Sociologists and soci, sociologists of religion uh, tell us that, and uh, theological studies, I was advised in seminaries where people had done studies over and over again, is that, hear me well, a conviction and commitment to faith lasts one generation. One generation. Now, if you question that, look around you and ask if your children are as converted and committed to God as you were. If not, we're losing ground. We're traveling backwards. And we need to be able to contemplate that and understand that and find ways to try to offset it. Life is going to be different than any different what we try to do. It's going to be, but we need to try to be able to meet it. Does our church life speak to our conditions? Do what you hear say, hear here, and see here, and what you see going on, does it have anything to do with preparing you for that world out there? And the leadership of this great body must be ready to hear no. Not invited, but if that's the case, tell us. And we pray deeply to God that God will give us the strength to meet those conditions. If my children are not being prepared to serve in this world and to handle what's coming at them, then I need to try to find out what I need to do to try to help get them ready. That's why you send your children to college. That's why you send them to get a PhD. All these things prepare them as lawyers, as doctors, to meet conditions out there. And if we can do it for that reason, we can do it for the cause of Christ. Because I accept it, you accept it, all of you parents accept it, that it was God's will for you to equip your children academically and educationally. And you took it as the, as, as the, as, as the pull of the draw. I never questioned whether my children would go to college or not. And my wife and I said early on, like other families have said, they understood that they were going to college. There's no question about it. It's a part of our thinking. My children never questioned whether or not they were going to junior college, going to uh, uh, middle school, or whether they were going to high school. They never questioned that. So if 
society and lifestyle has allowed my children to grow up and understand without us telling them that they're going to go to high school, why can't you do it for college? And you heard me say a few Sundays ago, I think one of our greatest problems is we have become victims of our own shortfalls. We don't take advantage of technology like we used to. We never take into consideration even in visitation of sick. What did the Bible mean when it said visit the sick? Of course, that's the only way you could get to see them. When the scriptures were written, if somebody down the lower part of Judea was sick, you had to walk down there. They didn't have technology to pick up the phone call and say, how you doing today, Brother, Brother Golden? Plus that sick visitation was a ministry that went on. You did things for folk. You didn't go in there and get you an easy chair and lay back and say, now let's talk the rest of the day. It was a service that was rendered. See, Brother Golden here today, a good example of my transgressions. He was sick. I went down there and sat down there with him a half a day or so and just talking and enjoying. We enjoying each other. And he enjoyed it and I enjoyed it. I got him home, got him, went home, kept on enjoying it. And I learned from him later that not long after I left, he crashed. Because it took all the energy that poor man had to try to receive me. And that ain't what visiting is about. It's to enhance the situation. To develop it, to minister to the situation. We get caught up in the physiology of things. Physically going, when they didn't have any way to handle it except physically to go. I visit the Coles in this section of Ackworth and go down and visit Brother Golden the same day, my whole day is gone. I can get on the phone and talk to 40 people in that time. Now that ain't to cut out me going, but go when circumstances require, but still check on him on the phone. And and, and the handle, we have to find ways to make the stuff happen. And God has given them to us, but we want to live in the horse and buggy days in terms of doing some things for the church that God doesn't require no horse and buggy. The main thing is to minister. Be sure that person is attended to. What is the biblical purpose of the church today? Now, I know when Acts 2.38 and Matthew 16, 18, 19, 20, the founding of the church uh, for, was for redemptive purposes and still is. But there was a cloud hangs over the church today that people view the church differently than they did in Bible times. So we got that to fight with. 
out in society where I operate every day ever so often, and you see it on news all the time. Somebody, well, the church ought to do this. The church ought to do that. Biblically, and no contact between that. No biblical basis for the church to have to be out there doing all this stuff people assigned for the church to do. It was never God's intended purpose. Nice stuff to do, yes. But take care of what we are required biblically to do first. We get so much tied in the social side of life that we don't do evangelism. And we can get our children and so forth much more excited about playing basketball than we can personal evangelism. And it's so easy to do it that way, so we just do it, get caught up in it, and evangelism just drops in the hole. The real reason the church exists is to save souls. All this other stuff is not bad, but it ain't our number one calling. So how does the church fit in? and do its job in a world where people got a different definition for it. Means that we've got to study the church and understand its role and live accordingly. Paul said in 1 Timothy 3.15 that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. It is its only hope. And we must respect that. How do we minister in this church as a world, in, as a church in this world, is by understanding more about the world and what God wills to have the world to have through us. What issues must we confront and address so as to remain the church? The multiplicity of religious faiths is an embarrassment to the will of God. Paul not only spoke against the multiplicity of churches, but he spoke against internal division that destroyed the church at Corinth. If you ever read the Bible, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Corinth was the most faction-torn church in all of the New Testament. They had everything going on. So bad that there was one fellow there had his daddy's wife. Now you think our, our condition is bad, that's poverty. And if you read Paul closely, those people sat up there in that church and didn't do anything about it. They're just like us. Just like us and the stuff we ignore. You can do anything you want to. Premarital pregnancy, premarital sex, the whole thing. Ain't nobody going to say nothing. We fill our seats with illegitimacy. Nobody says nothing. Because we are in line with the world. Some people don't agree with me when I say that baby showers don't go to illegitimate children. Well, I'm just thinking about the child. Give it what you want. Nobody's condemning the child. But a, a, a shower is a kind of condonation. 
of the illegitimate act and is not deserving of that kind of approval. I can hear y'all thinking. You talking about the nerve of a brass monkey, here it is. <laughs> I mean, it, it, uh, and, and we talk about these kinds, and, and it never really reaches us. We're not presenting the picture to the world of controlled lives. We handle sexual matters by the pill. There's never a question in my mind that we ought not be engaged in it. And we'll fight. I, I was looking at television just the other day, and it was a lady on 34. She was raising Cain because somebody opposed children using prophylactics. And she went on and on and on, and I turned off. <laughs> I mean, and she, and, and, and she was a good talker, a good speaker, and she was almost to eat up the newscaster. That's the deep conviction that sex, wherever you want to have it, even with our children, is acceptable. You are in that land. Now, what are we doing to redeem? We certainly don't help our children by agreeing to do it. And we shouldn't do anything that remotely suggests condonation. We've got to do a better job of ministering. I mentioned that earlier, and I'm going to close. Ministry is reaching out to the situation and doing what has to be done, saying what needs to be said, and being relevant in your conduct. Preaching is reliving our message. Ministry includes preaching, but preaching does not necessarily include ministry. Now, Use one of the passages that Brother Reed, I want to tease him a little bit, finally found <laughs> in the Bible. And, and I'm a little upset with him because he used it before I got to tell it. <laughs> but in Jeremiah, there's a passage where the, uh, God's contending with Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's complaining about. How, how tough it is. And uh, God says, if, uh, if you have run with footmen, man, I like that. That's great. If you have run with footmen and they have wearied thee, uh, how shall thou contend with horses? That's powerful stuff. It means sons and daughters, fathers and mothers, that the battle is going to get worse. It ain't going to get no better. You ain't going to wake up one day and all those troubles are not going to be out there. No, they're going to be piled on you. 
And what God is saying to Jeremiah, you around here and you can't get along with these guys and, and them uh, spitting on you and throwing rocks at you. Uh, how are you going to make it with horses? Then I like the next passage. <laughs> next verse. If thou fought us down in the land of plenty, what wilt thou do in the swelling of the Jordan? That's heavy stuff. You can't make it with these people now, now, yow, yowing on you. What are you going to do when things really crank up? And if you can't make it when they start cutting you out of their groups because you don't do what their groups do or don't condone it, that's the reason why people don't say anything about these baby showers. They, don't, they get condone, won't get condonation. But the role of this pulpit, this church, when I say this pulpit, is to bring us face to face with truth. It doesn't make whether you like it or not. It doesn't make any difference whether I like it or not. Because my attitude toward truth doesn't change in one iota. And God must speak, and he must be allowed to speak by us. Yesterday, I was quite moved, challenged. We did the last service with Sister Amanda Phillips here in this building. As far as I'm concerned, since I don't remember otherwise, Amanda was a member of this church when I came here. That's, Sister Hall says, amen, that's it. That's, that's the testimony back there. <laughs> that's the last word. <laughs> she and Sister Woods, and charter members. Uh, as I was sitting down preparing that funeral to, do, to deliver the eulogy, I read and said, Sister Phillips was born in 1910. I said, huh? 1910. And right then I couldn't figure out. I was so, so stuck. Because I've been visiting this lady for years. Uh, when she lived right up the street from the church, and sons got killed or died or whatever the case was, a caretaker was killed who, who lived with, who, 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 who took a lot of care for her when I was going there. But we never discussed her age. And she didn't look like to me she was no 90-some years old. But she was. Now, let me register this on you. That woman was sick a long time. How many of y'all ever thought about visiting her? Just think about that. Here's a person pushing a hundred. And for the last 25 or 30 years of her life, sick, couldn't move. And uh, when I've been, and I ain't holding myself up as the prime visitor, incidentally, so don't go off on that track. Uh, that's not where I am. It happened to be one of the persons I visited a lot. Uh, but she never saw our faces. I learned just the other day in our church, 
this church that there's a young, young lady having difficulty working two full-time jobs trying to make it and taking care of somebody else. That's ministry. That's what I'm talking about when we talk about ministry. What can I do for you to lighten your burden? I don't have to work no two jobs, even though I do. But are we concerned about those who's caught in vices that we are not a part of? We're talking about reaching out in our zone programs, et cetera. Having touch with somebody. All of that lies before us. What do we need to do to continue as a brotherhood? of faithful believers. And the most that I would love to believe I have accomplished today is putting the question in your mind. You got to think about that. I've got to think about that. You know. And I know I may sound controversial on visiting, but I think Visiting people who cannot get out is a different issue for somebody who got a cold last night and is in the infirmary in the morning. We learn to do what needs to be done and has to be done. And I think once you understand, we understand, I understand that I am an instrument of God to make it happen. As all people, of leaders of the Bible were, then I become more realistically involved. And the differences I have with Brother Rucker, Sister Harrison, Sister Viney Hall, Brother Bradshaw, if there be any, ain't got nothing to do with this. Ain't got nothing to do with what my obligations are and my responsibility, even to them. I'm still expected to minister to them. That's the example that Jesus Christ laid down. And you say you want to be like him. Then you got to be willing to suffer and that suffering be a part of your life effectively causing things to happen. Jesus caused things to happen. I tell people sometimes, I do not believe in just sacrificing. I sacrifice for a purpose. I expect something to come out of it. Jesus didn't just sacrifice. He accomplished something by sacrificing. He didn't go hang on the cross for no reason at all. Well, I think I just get up there. Kind of like a response to one of the people who were criticizing him on the cross. If he be the son of God, let him come down from that cross and we'll believe him. That kind of thinking you can't really respond to because they wrapped up in something else altogether wrong. But you can sacrifice for noble and just redeeming cause. And you can be to God in this church what others have been in their generation. But the main thing is you've got to realize that that responsibility is ours. 
We invite you today to respond to heaven's invitation. You heard God's word, do you believe it? Are you willing to repent of your sins, confess Christ Jesus, and put him on in the water of grave of baptism. Take on a new life, a new lifestyle altogether. I am no longer my own. I have been bought with a price. I glorify God in that behalf. That is not only realizable, it's doable. It can be done. You can do it. I can do it. Christ did it. The Apostle Paul did it in countless ways. And said that considered himself nothing but something falling short, the least of all the apostles. But yet he believed and he tried. That's the commitment we want to move forward with to conquer the opportunities of this church in this day. If you're here who have not lived up to your commitment and would rededicate your life to Jesus Christ today, even here is the accepted time. This is the reason to come forward along with those who wish to be baptized and get that rededication and recommitment. That privilege is yours. That understanding is yours. Let's stand together, please, Christians and, and believers. If, you, if you're here, we ask that you come. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace? This hour you are in the blood of the Lamb. Are you one in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white? As though you are in the blood of the Lamb. Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest eight moment in the crucified? In the blood 